I think that all of us in life believe that our lives could be better. I don't know that we all would sit back and say, it's just all perfect. I've got it all figured out. Everything is just the way I want it to be. We all have the tendency to look at things in our life, various situations, and, and decide, well, that could be a little bit better. Uh, I could have a little bit more wealth and things would be better off. If I had a few more possessions, I would be happier. If uh, the job was a better job and you don't know what, what a burden would be lifted off of my shoulders. Uh, we have those kinds of, of moments in life where we, we step back and we think things just really could be better. Uh, and I, I think all of us have the tendency to believe that the grass is greener on the other side. That, that we look at others in life and we say, well, look at what they have. Look at what they're doing in their lives. That, that's going to be an improvement in my life if I had the things that they had or were able to do the things that they can do. And I think all of us have that tendency to look at life and say, you know, the grass would be a little bit greener on the other side if I just had a little bit more money, uh, a, a few more things. Uh, uh, just a, a better relationship with my family, better things in my home life. It, things would just be so much better. And, and I, I think that is interesting because often I think where our, our uh, disgruntled nature and our lack of contentment lies is that we're always looking that the grass is greener on the other side and the frustration is that we can't get there. We think that if we had whatever it is that we want to plug in the box... That would make us happy, but the problem is we can't get there. If I had more, then I would be happier. If this situation changed, then I'd be happier. But in all of our efforts and all the work that we do and everything that we strive after in life, we're unable to get to that point that we can say, okay, I've tried the other side. The grass is greener or isn't greener on the other side. And that's what makes the book of Ecclesiastes so interesting is because this book allows us uh, an interesting view into somebody who had the ability to go to the other side of a fence to see what life was like. If the grass really was greener on the other side, if accumulating more, if changing some life circumstances would really make the difference. And it is interesting that the writer then, uh, what he does for us is he gives us a journal. He records his findings of what life is like as he attempts to explore. And for us that helps because we don't have the resources and the abilities to test these things out. We kind of live them out in a theoretical sense. We think about, well, it would be better if... More money was on the bank. It would be better if the job changed. It would be better if I lived in a different place. All of these things would be so much better. And here we have the opportunity to read about somebody who had the resources, who had the abilities, who had the power to test all of those theories that we have in our mind about how much better life would be on the other side. And so this study that we're going to do this summer is true wisdom for life, and we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes and consider the wise things that he is able to tell us. And so I want us to begin as an introduction, just in, in talking about the book just for a moment. Uh, the, the name is unusual. Uh, it comes from the Greek, and I just underlined a, a part of the Greek you might recognize. Uh, if you take a, your thumb over the S-T-E-S, -E 
you see ecclesia. Uh, this is simply a word saying the speaker is talking to the assembly. Uh, and so this is the intention, is the writer is going to experience the things of life, he's going to test the other side of the fence to see if the grass is greener, and he is now sharing what he has found with his audience, with the assembly, to tell them, here's what I found, here's what life is like. And so verse 1 begins, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, uh, and, and identifying who he is, and this is somewhat broad. Uh, all the kings of Judah inevitably called themselves uh, of the son of David and of that lineage. But what is interesting is in verse 12, we're told uh, he's the king over Israel in Jerusalem. And that really narrows down the possibilities. Because we know after Solomon's son Rehoboam, the kingdom divides in two under his reign. And you couldn't rule over Israel in Jerusalem. We know Rehoboam was a fool also when we read the Old Testament. And so this pretty well tells us that this is King Solomon who is writing to us about his findings. And what is interesting about that is he doesn't put his name on this. He doesn't say, here I am, King Solomon, listen to what I have to say because I have the authority of king and you should listen because of that. He instead steps back and calls himself the teacher. I just want to explain to you my findings. Well, here's what I have recorded in my life journal of what life is like by attempting to find fulfillment in these other things. And so he doesn't want to write with the force of a command, with the force of the king. He just seems to be sitting down like a friendly conversation and is saying to each of us, just, just let me share with you some of those things that I learned. It's very similar to what we as parents like to try to do to our children of, I tried these things, I, I have these experiences, I did these tests in life, here's the way it worked, I want you to know that so that you don't have to try it yourself, you will know that this is what is best and this is not the way to go. Uh, this is what, what Solomon seems to be doing to the audience, is saying, I know you aren't able to test all these things, I know you don't have the resources to be able to try to find all that there is to find in life, but Solomon says, I did. And I'm going to share with you what I found. And so uh, I think that helps us understand why Solomon is a good writer in, in opening the door to looking into this. Because we find a number of things about him. And first, he had vast amounts of wisdom. Remember what the scriptures tell us in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 29. That God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight, and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east. Greater than the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan, the Ezrahite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, sons of Mahol. Uh, his reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Solomon composed 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He described trees from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He also taught about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. People came from everywhere. Sent by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And so we learn that Solomon has the right to speak about wisdom. Here, here is somebody who was able to obtain great, great amount of wisdom and great amount of knowledge. And, and understand here we are able to say, okay, he has a, a basis upon which to talk. And to explain to us what life is like based upon all that wisdom. And he had far more than that. He had great amounts of wealth. 
1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, in addition, there's God speaking to Solomon, I will give you what you did not ask for. Remember, Solomon asked for great wisdom, and God blesses him with far more, both riches and honor, so that no man in any kingdom will be your equal during your entire life. And then 1 Kings 10 tells us that King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and in wisdom. And so here is somebody who can say, I had it all. You want to talk about having wealth? He had wealth. If he wanted to do something, he could do it. Uh, There was nothing that wasn't at his disposal. There was nothing that wasn't attainable to him as he makes this quest about trying to find the greatness of life. And then finally, he also had a great amount of power. 1 Kings 4 and verse 21, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms of the Euphrates, from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines. As far as the border of Egypt, they offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. We can pull a map and say, look at, he, this is as big as Israel ever got under Solomon's reign. He had vast wisdom. He had vast knowledge. He had power. He had wealth unequaled at the time. What do you think Solomon would now say to us as he is able to have all of the things that none of us are able to have? He was able to have wealth beyond imagination. All of us can think, oh, I could have a little bit more. I could use a little bit more in the bank. It can be nice to have a few more things. He had it all. I think all of us could say, yeah, I could use a little more wisdom. I could use a little more knowledge. It would be nice to, to understand a few more things. Solomon had it. People from all over the world came to Solomon to hear about his wisdom. It would be nice to have a little bit more influence in this world. People listen to me. You know, the world would be a better place if people listen to me, right? We kind of have that idea in our minds. Things would, would go a lot smoother. Solomon had that influence. Solomon had that power. What do you think he would say about that? What do you think he would say about life, of accumulating all of that, having all that wisdom, having all of that wealth, having all that power? Look at verse 2, his conclusions. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. Not what I expected Solomon to say. I expected Solomon to say, Boy, life's fun when you got a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? Oh, oh, man, when you have money, boy, you can buy things whenever you want to buy stuff. It's, it's just great. Anything that comes into your mind, go buy it. It'd be great. You'll be happy. Think of all the joy that you would have in your life if you just had more things. Think about how wonderful it would be if you had millions and millions of dollars in the bank and it seemed like the money never ran out. It would be great. Imagine having all the wisdom in the world. You knew what was right and what was wrong. You knew which was the best decisions to make in your life. Imagine having such influence. The world would come to listen to you. People knocking on your door wanting your great wise sage words. Life would be great, wouldn't it? We would just be thrilled. And Solomon says, it's not what you think it is. It's not at all what you think your life would be like if you had all of those things. We like to think that having more stuff would make us happy. We think a little bit more influence and that's going to be it. We'll be thrilled if we just had a few more dollars in the bank. That would bring us true joy and happiness. And Solomon says, I've been there. I tried all of it. And he says, it's futility. It's a waste. It's empty. 
It doesn't bring you the value that you think it's going to bring you. It doesn't fill the void in your life that you think it's going to fill. And often that's what we think. We think a little bit more money is going to fill that, that burning void within us. We think a little bit more stuff, with a little bit more influence, better job. That's going to make us truly happy. And Solomon just is starting this whole journal by saying, no, it won't. And he's going to explain why. He's going to go on to explain to us more as he draws this conclusion. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1, What does a man gain in all his efforts he labors at under the sun? This is an interesting conclusion that he draws. He kind of just simply says, what's the point? (laughs) What is the point of all the work and all the toil and all the labor? He's not just talking about the nine to five job. He's just talking about the general rat race of life, all the toil, all the mental strain that we go through. What is all the point of all this effort that we go through in this life? All the things that we are doing, what really boils down to the great meaning of all of this? And he makes the the point, and I will think it's important to consider, and I hope you'll highlight, he uses the words under the sun. We need to understand what the writer is going to do in this book, because this book has, I think, led to a lot of confusion in in reading it, is trying to figure out, well, is the writer telling us when we get done with the whole book that life is just a waste and there's no point? That's not what he's doing. I want you to see that when he writes now under the sun, what he's doing is he's taking a strictly human point of view. He is now looking only horizontally. He's removing God from the equation and saying, let's just look at life through human eyes. Let's just look at money. Let's just look at wealth and possessions. Let's look at wisdom. Let's look at knowledge and power and influence. Let's just look at everything from a human perspective and let's just analyze it and let's just see if it's going to make our lives any better. Let's see if it's going to fill that void that all of us have in our lives. That's what he's doing. And so his conclusion here is, what's the point? What gain are we going to have as we look at this human perspective? Let's read some of the things that he points out. Verse 4 in the Scriptures here, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, goes the wind. And the wind returns and it cycles. All the streams flow to the sea. Yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place, and they flow there again. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can anyone say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in ages before us. There is no memory of those who came before and those who will come after. There will also be no memory among those who follow them. This is an interesting declaration that he makes. And he's just making some simple observations that causes him to draw this conclusion. What does man gain by all the efforts of striving for more in the physical realm? And he makes out the first point. He says, life's monotonous. Some things just never change. I love verse 4. Generation comes, generation goes. Earth's still here. (laughs) How long has that been going on? Generation rises, generation goes. Next one rises, next one goes. Everybody thinks their generation is the most important generation. (laughs) They're the ones that are the most important. They're the ones changing the world. Yet that generation comes and that generation goes. 
all of us Gen Xers, you know, we were really popular in the media. We've already been scooted aside for three new letters on the alphabet. We're nothing to the society anymore. A generation comes and a generation goes. And here's Solomon just looking at it going, what's the point? Things are just going to keep going on and on after us. Why are we placing so much value in the things of this world? These things are the way it is. Verse 5, he says, the sun rises and the sun sets. And the picture there, a lot of the versions say hastening. Uh, I'm using Holman Christian Standard with this as panting. It's this picture of laboring across the, across the earth is every day, sun comes up, sun goes down. Sun goes up, sun goes down. What a wearisome every day. I know we all feel like that tomorrow morning. Oh, Monday's here again. <laughs> it's just the same old thing. Here, we're going to do it again. This is what he's pointing out. Life is monotonous. It's just the same thing every day, every week, every month, and we're just continuing on over and over again. And Solomon just is looking at it and saying, is there supposed to be value in this? Are we supposed to find great meaning and, and, and uh, great filling of the void in our lives from this? Life just continues to run and run and run. Verses 7 and 8, nothing is ever satisfied. What a great picture. Verse 7 where he says, streams flow into the sea. Ever seen the ocean ever get too full? Will there ever be a day the scientists will come on the TV and say, you know what, we've got a problem. The Atlantic is getting too full. Uh, we're going to have to bail it out. Uh, we just got a problem here. As much as all the water keeps flowing into these things, into the rivers, into the sea, into the oceans... It's never full. He's making a point. Nothing is ever satisfied. And he draws that in the next, next verse there. In verse 8, he says, he says, The eyes never satisfied seeing. There ever be a day where you look at something that's new and improved and you say, ah, I don't need that new and improved thing. Uh, faster, neater, smaller, cooler computer. Ah, I like my old junky one. You know, I'm, I'm The eye always is looking for more. The eye is never satisfied. That's what Solomon says. It's like a human flaw of ours that we're always looking for the bigger and better. We're always looking for more and more. We want more of everything. And he says the eye is never satisfied. We get the thing that we think is going to bring that happiness, that true joy. And what happens? It didn't do it. I always enjoy talking about brand new cars. When you first get the brand new car, oh, we're out there on a regular basis. We're parking five miles away from other cars. We're waxing it on, a, on the weekend every single week. Give it two years. Oh, you're putting it next to the worst heap of trash that's sitting in the parking lot you can find. You don't care. You're slamming doors. You don't wash it anymore. Wax it. you got to be kidding me. It's hot outside. We don't care anymore. We want something new. The eye is never satisfied. And that's what Solomon is pointing out. He says, look at this, people. We keep accumulating more, grasping for more. Are we ever satisfied? Same thing with the ears, he says. Always wanting to hear something new, something more important, something different. Nothing is satisfied. Verses 9 and 10, nothing's new. What a great statement, because we like to think that everything's new. And I want to read this and go, I beg to differ. Got some really new things. You couldn't do this neat stuff that I'm doing up here on the screen before, right, Solomon? I mean, this is some new technology, new stuff. And what, what the Solomon is making the point is what happens is we forget all the advances that happened in the past. <laughs> I find history to be very interesting. The Roman Empire stands as a great lesson that things have been done bigger and better before us. And we can't even explain how they did some of the things that they built. We still can't explain uh, their pantheon with the ocular in the, in the middle. We don't even know how they did that. We need concrete to do that. They didn't have concrete. How do you do that? 
It's amazing. And so we sit here and think, we're so smart, we're on the cutting edge, and yet we can't even understand the past. Big hoo-ha about Stonehenge over the last week. We're still trying to figure out big rocks standing on end. What is that all about? Nothing's new. We're not so great. We're not so cutting edge. We have just forgotten what has happened in the past. Verse 11, don't forget, everything is transitory. In fact, that's the literal meaning of this word, which you have futility. Your version may say vanity of vanities. The word literally means breath or vapor. Everything is just simply, quickly passing by like a vapor. And thus he makes the point in verse 11, there's no memory of those who came before us. You know, that is depressing in some sense. I mean, as you read Ecclesiastes, you realize this is kind of a, a downer of a book in some ways because we like to think that we are making such an impact in this society that people will remember us for all that we've done. You can't even name all the presidents. <laughs> Important people in our society. And we probably can't get through all of them. Those who lived in the past are forgotten. Those who live after us will forget about us. And thus he makes the conclusion, why are we striving for these physical things? Why are we looking at just a human point of view? It's futility. What does having more wealth accomplish? What does having more influence and power accomplish? What does all this stuff in this world alone by itself accomplish? It's not getting us anywhere. It's not bringing us true joy. It's not bringing the satisfaction that we would like to think that it's going to bring. And so he's going to explain more of that. And what we won't have time for that this morning. We'll look at it next week. But the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's going to now sit down and explain, here's all the things I tried. And he's going to draw specific conclusions. He's going to say, I gained more wisdom. Let me tell you how that worked. He's going to tell us about how he acquired more wealth and how that was. He's going to tell us about all the pleasures that he threw himself into and how he tried everything there was to enjoy in this world and what conclusions he drew from that. He is going to try everything. So let's not think that, well, there's something that Solomon hasn't tried. He is being very exhaustive. He's going to say, I tried it all. He says, anything that my eyes saw or desired, I put my hand to it. I tried it. And so Solomon works for us because we don't have the ability to try everything. We just like to think that all that stuff, if we could ever get to it, would give us some true meaning and value in life. And Solomon is stepping up and saying, I want you to know something, friends. It's all futility. Trying to find value and trying to find the point and trying to find your eternal purpose in the physical realm is not going to get you anywhere. And so I think he leaves us with two important conclusions and two conclusions I want to leave you with this morning. The first conclusion that I think he's trying to draw for us is first that the lure of something better tomorrow robs us of enjoying the things that we have today. I just think that's exactly what he's getting at. Is He's saying we're always opening our eyes and looking for something better. We always want something more. The eye is never satisfied. We're always thinking that if it was just a little bit more, that's what would make us happy. 
If we had this one other possession, if we just had one more thing, if we got paid just a little bit more, if we just had a little bit more influence, if we just got that promotion, just that one more thing, it is always one more thing in our minds. If it was just one more thing, if I finally had that, I would be happy. And sometimes we actually attain it. And then what happens? There's one more thing. Something else comes to the mind. And Solomon is saying, back up a minute. You're not able to enjoy the things that you have now, the blessings that exist now, when you keep looking out ahead of you wanting more. It is impossible to enjoy all the goodness that you have in your life now, to enjoy the wisdom and the experience and the knowledge and the wealth and all the blessings that we have now if we keep looking outward saying, i got to have more. And so I think one of the points that he's going to show us as we go through the book is that the good life, we're talking about a truly satisfying life, only will exist when we stop wanting a better life. When we finally just stop, take the burden off our shoulders and go, you know what, the life I have right now is really good. Things are really good in my life right now. I don't need more. I keep thinking my life is going to get better, but I realize I'm just a silly hamster uh, stuck in a coffee can, going round and round and round. I just think I'm going to get somewhere, and I'm not going anywhere. It's just crazy. Get out of the can and just sit there and go, okay, the things that I have right here, right now, that can satisfy me. I'm going to enjoy the wealth that I have now. I'm going to enjoy my family now the relationships that I have now. I'm going to enjoy the time that I have now. I'm going to appreciate the things that I have. Rather than always forgetting what I have now, looking for something else, appreciate where I stand. And Solomon says that's what we need to be doing. Enjoy what is, rather than longing for what could be. We're always for a could be. We always are reaching for what could possibly be. Isn't that what the lottery is all about? You could be. A millionaire. Everything is a could be. You you just might be the one. Enjoy what is. Think about your life. Think about all that you have right now. And enjoy what you have now. And Solomon is going to try to drive that point home throughout this journal reading that we go through. Of look at your life. Find the pleasures that exist in your life now and appreciate it. Enjoy it. Stop reaching and striving and trying to grasp for more. You have a lot now. Appreciate it and enjoy it. And so the lure of something better tomorrow, it's it's killing us. It's robbing us. It's foolishness to think that that's going to now finally be the thing to make us happy. It's simply not. And then the other conclusion that he's drawing here is that there's nothing in life, life under the sun, this human point of view, That's going to bring lasting satisfaction or lasting fulfillment. Humans have tried for thousands of years to try to find that thing under the sun, the thing on the earth that will finally give you the true purpose and true meaning of life. And yet we continue on for thousands of years on and nobody seems to be able to attach to it. And that's, I think, what he's trying to get at is he's telling us about futility of life under the sun. If all that we are going to be living life for is all that we see, the here and now, the physical, you're not going to find any happiness. 
you're not going to find satisfaction. Nothing that is everlasting, that true joy that we're all looking for, you're not going to find it. And he's going to draw a number of conclusions for us about this as we go along, but he's going to tell us in a number of instances, the only place you're going to find lasting satisfaction is with God. That's it. And I think we have to understand that's what he's trying to do. He says, let's, let, let's do an exercise. Let's take God out of the equation for a minute and let's just plow ourselves into everything we can get our hands onto into this world. Do you really think you're going to finally be happy? Be honest. Do you really think you're going to have it? If you finally got that mansion on the island and you had all the things that you ever could dream of in life, now you will really be happy? Solomon is saying you won't. When you take God out of the equation, there's not satisfaction there. And so these are the initial lessons that he wants us to consider. And I hope that we'll think about for this week that we will take a breath, take a step back from the chaos of what goes on in life as we begin yet another work week, another day of schedules, all the chaos that goes on with that, to take a step back and go, I'm going to enjoy what I have in my life, right now. I'm going to enjoy the things that God has given me right now. I'm going to enjoy the pleasures, the fruit of my labor, the things that I can enjoy in this world. I'm going to appreciate what I have rather than striving for more, grasping for more, thinking that happiness is just a little catch away. I'm just going to get it. And Solomon says, you know, these things are bound up in God. Pull your psalm books out. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. We are inviting you to come to God, to come to Jesus Christ. And we invite you to consider your life situation. And I'm sure that you in your own life can do the same thing that I can do in my life. So I look around in my life and I say, you know, anytime I've ever tried to find happiness in any other thing, if anytime I've tried to find deep satisfaction in something else, it leaves me empty. It's just a temporary pleasure. A temporary satisfaction happens from the new possession, from a little more influence, a little bit more wisdom. It's temporary. And then it fades off, becomes worn and broken. And as he's described in this first chapter, we realize we're kind of just in the midst of this rat race. And it's time for us to open our eyes and see there's something far more important than the things that are going on under the sun. And we need to open our eyes and look to Jesus and understand that that is where true fulfillment, true lasting satisfaction is going to come. And so we've previewed where we're going in this series. I hope you'll come back in the coming weeks as we'll do this on Sunday mornings and look at what Solomon has to offer as he tries it all. And he explains to us that God is the place to find your happiness. God is the place who's going to fill that void in your life. God is the one who can bring you the joy that you're looking for. We invite you to come to Jesus this very morning. Turn away from your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confess that he is the Lord and be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. Won't you do that now? Come forward while we stand and while we sing.